Well, good morning. For our uh, teaching time for the next three Sundays, we're going to do something a little bit different uh, than what we're accustomed to doing. Um, instead of teaching from the Bible, uh, I'm going to teach about the Bible. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a journey that, that I started down not very many years after I started seriously following Jesus as a, as a young man. Not that I'm not a young man anymore, but um, I was a younger man when I did this. And part of what prompted this for me is th this book is foundational to our faith. Right? I mean, everything we know, most everything we know about God, everything Molly just read from that book about what is God like, there are, that, that comes from this book, that comes from here. And nearly all attempts to criticize or diminish our faith include some version of criticizing or diminishing this book. Uh, and that, that started very early, right? We know in the Garden of Eden, the serpent comes up to Eve, did God really say, did God really say don't eat that apple? Did God really say you would die? You're not going to die. Later when Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness, at least according to this book, it was the same thing. Satan tempted Jesus with scripture, taken out of context, taken out of its appropriate understanding, and tempted Jesus with words from this book. Did God really say? And modern versions of criticism of our faith include the same thing. There are whole groups of people that are, uh, have lots of initials after their names uh, that, that gather together and piecemeal this book and, and basically say, we don't think God really said. Uh, and so for me, if I was going to be serious about following Jesus, I mean, this is, this is where we know about Jesus from. Uh, there are some smatterings of information about Jesus outside of this book, and we'll look at a few of those uh, in a couple of weeks. But this is where we learn about Jesus. And, and if this is not to be trusted, then how do we know anything about Jesus? And how can I say I'm following Jesus if I can't trust what's in this book. And so that prompted a very long journey <laughs> for me. And I'm not going to take you through the whole journey, I promise. We're just going to spend about three weeks. And what we're going to do, we're going to focus specifically on the Gospels. Uh, and because that, again, is where we learn about Jesus. I'll hit on a few other things, but we're going to focus on the four Gospels. And then very briefly, we'll focus on one event from the Gospels as well, the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, because that is critical to our faith. Paul writes, you know, the, if the resurrection didn't happen, then we are the most to be pitied among fools. So we'll look at that uh, over the next three weeks, but we're going to talk about how this was assembled, right? It's a whole bunch of different books, a whole bunch of collection of books, and there's all kinds of if you've read anything about this or even heard anything about this, there's a lot of different ideas floating around about how this came to be. And some of them have more uh, evidence to support them than others, and we'll look at that a little bit. 
Uh, and then we're going to look at the reliability and credibility of, again, primarily the four Gospels. Uh, the reliability speaks to, is it a reliable, and this is, in, uh, pulling back a little bit, any witness about anything, uh, whether that's in a courtroom or wherever, it, it's, a witness is, uh, is believable if they are reliable and credible. And if they're not reliable and credible, then there's no reason to believe anything that they're saying because we can't trust it. Uh, reliability is more consistency within, the own, within a witness's own story. Do they tell the same version of the story every time that they're asked? Uh, and then credibility is, well, how close to the events were they? If you claim to be a witness to a car accident, but you got there five minutes after the accident took place, well, your testimony is not going to be near as credible as somebody who was there and saw it all happen at the same time, right? So those are some of the concepts that, that we're going to look at uh, over the next three weeks. And I promise I will work very hard not to make this feel like everybody's back in history class. I promise. But it is going to be some history, and it is going to be a little bit of science when we talk about the credibility. Um, but just a, a, a brief note about Scripture and what what the Bible is and what the Bible is not. The Bible obviously is a revelation of God and it tells us about God, but it is not a complete revelation of God. It is not everything that there is to know about God. It is not everything we could ever possibly learn about God because, again, God is much bigger than we are. And if we could distill everything about God into this book, then all we have just done is proven that he is a fabrication of our own invention. <laughs> So he is, this is not a complete revelation of God, and it is not the complete, even in the Gospels, it's not the complete story of everything Jesus did while he was here. But it is sufficient. It is sufficient for the purposes that God intended for it. And it is sufficient for us to have an adequate understanding of God and an adequate understanding of Jesus' life and ministry. But it, it does not claim to be a perfect revelation. It does not claim to be the complete revelation. And we should not assume it as such. Um, so along with that uh, is our understanding of this. And there's real danger in, as we, uh, those of us on the teaching team that get in front of you week in and week out. The real danger in this is looking like we're the experts right? <laughs> Thinking that, that, that somehow we've, we've become experts in this. And it, it, we're not. Uh, our understanding is just as limited as anybody else's understanding, which means all of us have a limited ability to understand what is in here. And so what that translates to in real time is that we should approach Scripture with, with humility and with prayer. Right? Because we're not going to understand everything about it. And, and maybe we don't have an accurate understanding of what we think we understand right now. I, I have been wrong about things before. Now, it doesn't happen often. And, it, you know, I think the last time was 1994 or 5, somewhere in there. I'm kidding, right? But so I've been wrong about things before. And I can be wrong again. And so as I approach Scripture, I approach it with humility and with prayer, and God, do I understand this? And then 
I ask other people. Sometimes that's reference materials that I have. Sometimes that's Scott, and sometimes that's other people who's, who also, I know, listen and prayer, prayerfully approach Scripture and say, am I right or am I getting off base somewhere? And I listen because I do not have a complete understanding or a perfect understanding. So because of that, we approach Scripture with, with humility and with prayer. And please understand that as I'm up here walking us through this over the next three weeks, I don't pretend to be the expert. I don't pretend to tell you that this is the way it is. So please process this as I'm, as I'm presenting this information. And in our question and answer time at the end, please feel free to challenge anything I'm saying and feel free to ask the questions that you have. Because that's how we learn, and that's part of the way that God teaches us is as we learn from each other. So as we look at how this got um, assembled, one of the things, that, the, the word that you maybe have heard before is uh, the, the canon of Scripture or canonicity. Anybody heard that word before? That's one that gets thrown around in some circles. It's simply a French word that means rule or norm. And so what we're talking about is how this became our, our rule, our norm. Uh, Paul writes that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness. But when Paul wrote that, there was no New Testament, <laughs> right? And so uh, part of why we're going to focus on the Gospels is at the time of Jesus, the Old Testament that we have in, in this book, is the same scripture that the Jews were using in the day. That was already accepted as authoritative teaching from God. And so we're gonna, that's why we're going to kind of skip over that, is because when, when Jesus was walking around and teaching, when was, Paul was writing, when Paul said, all scripture is God-breathed, anybody reading that, because remember, we are a Jewish movement at our core, would have immediately thought of what we understand to be the Old Testament. That's scripture, because they knew that. And so that just got imported into the Christian writings, the Christian authoritative writings, because, again, we started as a Jewish movement. And so it just got imported. And that becomes very important later as we talk about uh, how they distilled the rest of this. So in the early days of, the, of our movement, after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, and we've seen, we've got all these letters that Paul wrote in here, right? But Paul also, there's, there's a passage where Paul kind of intimates that there are other letters that he has written that we don't have in here. So even within the writings of Paul, this does not claim to be all of Paul's writings. Uh, these are not, this is not everything Paul wrote to every church. And there were others writing at the same time. And there's all this it, it, you know, in uh, you know, before the days of the internet, this is how information was disseminated, right? And so, just kind of picture it like you know the internet, but they're copying these letters and they're sharing them amongst the different churches. Paul even encourages that in some of his letters. He said, "Hey, after you read this, pass it on to this church. Make sure this makes the rounds. Pass it around." And they would make their own copies of that, right? And we call these a manuscript copy, a handwritten copy. Everything is a manuscript copy until 1440. That's when the printing press was invented, and that's when 
all the scribes in the world were put out of business. <laughs> and from that point on, it just became the printing press. And then it gets real easy, right? But prior to that, it's all handwritten. And so this is one of the questions, right? Because it's like the, the game of telephone. You know, as you pass it around the circle, eventually when it comes back around, all of a sudden the message is completely garbled from what was initiated. But scribes, and we'll talk about this more, but the process of being a scribe is very different from the game of telephone. Uh, and and, and we'll, we'll get into that. But So all these letters are circulating, and, and there's letters that claim to be written by other apostles, right? You may have heard of the Gospel of Thomas, for instance. Uh, there's all kinds of things that are, that are circulating at this time. And so there's, you can imagine almost like the day and age in which we live and where there's all this information circulating at one time, it's confusing to understand what's authoritative and what's not. And there's confusion in the early church. And so there is a process that they went through to, to make sure that they were working with documents that were authoritative. And that process is what we call the canonization. Um, and that happened over the first couple of centuries uh, that the church, and it's not a, there's not a hard timeline. You'll hear, for instance, sometimes that uh, a, a date of like 397 or so, the Council of Nicaea, that at that point, they just kind of declared everything, you know, to be, and they threw out stuff they didn't like, and they said, yeah, we'll keep this because we like it, and it, that's not exactly what happened. This was a process, a very fluid process that took place over the first couple of centuries of the church. But by the late third century, what we know as the New Testament, we have, in fact, we have a copy, a manuscript copy of the New Testament in Greek that dates from the early fourth century, complete as we know it today. And there, but this process, they had a criteria for how they said, okay, yes. 1 Corinthians, no to Gospel of Thomas. There was a process for that, and we know that because of some of the other writings of what we call the early church fathers. There were some very important people that were not, uh, this isn't, don't think like hierarchical in the terms of the Catholic church. These are just people who were recognized by the churches in their day as being authoritative and being leaders of this early Christian movement. And the, the, what we've learned from their writings is there are basically five different criteria that they had to look at these different writings that were circulating and say, should we use this as something authoritative or should we not? And those criteria were simply this. Was it written by a prophet of God, which roughly translates to being an apostle or a disciple of Jesus, but basically an eyewitness to the life of Jesus? And, when was, and was the author confirmed by the acts of God? In other words, and again, this goes back to being an apostle, but the apostles did some of the miracles that Jesus did, right? And they, uh, they clearly had the same authority that Jesus had as they went on in their ministry because they healed the sick, they, uh, you know, they healed the lame. Sorry, I'm being repetitive, but they did the same things Jesus did. They were eyewitnesses to what Jesus did. Um, so those two, the first two kind of go together. Um, and does the, 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 the message tell the truth about God? And their reference point for this was it can't contradict anything in what we consider to be the Old Testament. So if it contradicts what's in the Old Testament, that's not the truth about God because we already know that's the truth about God. 
And Jesus quoted heavily from the Old Testament. In fact, virtually everything we have written down in the Gospels that Jesus said, almost none of it was original. <laughs> you can go find virtually everything in the Old Testament, or at least allusions to that, where you can interpret that that's where he's coming from. So it had to be consistent with the Old Testament. And did it come with, the, did the, the, the writing, the letter, the gospel, come with the power of God? In other words, were lives transformed by the reading and application of the teaching? That would distinguish it from just being an historical document. Uh, and within the Old Testament, there are some historical documents. Maybe you've heard of them called the Apocrypha or some of this. And there are historical writings that are ancient Jewish writings, but the church does not consider them to be authoritative in the sense of teaching from them as we do with other scripture. But they're certainly historical documents and they're, inf they're informative to read. Uh, so, that's, so did it come with the power of God? Were lives transformed by the teaching included in these, in these writings? And then last, was it accepted by the people of God? Do the churches generally widely accept that, yes, this is authoritative writing? Now, so was it written by a prophet of God who was confirmed by acts of God? Does the message tell the truth about God? Does it contradict the Old Testament? Did it come with the power of God? Were lives transformed? And was it accepted by the people of God? And in reality, the first two could be enough to say, yep, that's going to be Scripture. If it was written by an eyewitness who was an apostle that clearly had the power of God, uh, like the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of John, right? The, clearly, no question, we're going to accept that. The writings of Paul, clearly, no question. Uh, and so then, but the rest of them come in play for uh, helping the, the, but that's the, the criteria that they used in this process of canonization. So it was not some random act that was decided, you know, 350 years after the events that they just, you know, a bunch of guys got together in a room and waved a magic wand and threw out the stuff they didn't like. That, it, it wasn't that arbitrary. And we know that from the writings at the time. That theory of it was this arbitrary declaration of stuff they liked and didn't like uh, doesn't show up until nearly two millennia after the events. There's nothing in the present time of the writings we have at that time that indicates it was that arbitrary. It, was a, it very much was a criteria that they had, and it went through this process. But again, by the late fourth century, this is set, just like we have it now. And it stayed that way. Um, <clears throat> So that's, and, and interestingly, even our word book comes from the process of collecting these writings. We didn't have books. And there's a lot of, well, this is questionable, but there's a significant amount of evidence to say that the first actual book was this collection of scripture. Because prior to this, it was all scrolls, right? And everything was on a scroll. But as the, as the early church is trying to circulate all these letters from Paul and all these writings of the Gospels, it becomes very unwieldy to do that with scrolls. And so they started binding it like this. And there's a lot of evidence to say that that's the first time that anything like that was bound like a book. It's not conclusive, but in any case, 
that's when a book in the, you know, of course, the Biblio, the, uh, that where we get Bible in other languages means book, like Spanish, biblioteca, that's the library, right? So that's where we get some of this. Um, so that's, so even this form of book uh, comes from that time period. And so as we move forward, we're going to look next week at, at reliability of Scripture. Do we, how do we know that what we have is an accurate copy to what was written down 2,000 years ago? Because that makes a difference, right? If we don't know that this, is, if this has been corrupted over time, just like the game of telephone, then how do we know any of this is believable? And, and that's a science, and there's a science that gets applied to that, just like any other ancient writing, not just scripture. This is a science called textual criticism, and whether you're looking at the writings of Homer or the writings of scripture, it's the same process. This is not a, a religious process. This is a scientific process called textual criticism. And then the following week, we'll look at the credibility. In other words, who wrote it? How do we know who wrote it? I mean, we know Matthew and John, right? Easy. Disciples, no question. Luke, do we know who Luke was really and why is his writing considered to be authoritative? And what about Mark? Who is Mark? Because again, we're going to focus primarily on the Gospels. Um, so that's kind of where we're going in a, in a big picture sense. Um, a couple of uh, definitions to understand. When we talk about Scripture being an ancient book, that's a technical definition. And an ancient writing is generally considered something to be before 600 A.D. After that, it becomes a medieval writing. And, and that's a distinction that becomes important if you interact with any of your Muslim friends. Uh, the, the, the Quran is, is, a, is considered a medieval book because it's written in the mid-7th century, uh, whereas Scripture is considered to be an ancient writing. And much of what we're talking about uh, next week in particular with the reliability of Scripture has analogs in, in the reliability of the Quran and the, the using fragments of writings and all this. And we can do the same process with the Quran. And, and I'll mention that because it's also remark a, a remarkably accurate copy to what was likely the original. Um, but the distinction is it's a medieval book not an ancient book. And that makes a difference for a couple of reasons that we'll talk about next week. So that, that distinction of, of an ancient book being somewhere around 600 AD and behind. Um, and again, I'm going to work really hard to not make all of that sound too pedantic. And I'll apologize ahead of time. I can go very, very deep down this rabbit hole. And, but I want this to be something that engages your thinking and engages your thinking about the Bible um, in, in this way that maybe some of us have not thought about Scripture before. But my hope is, my hope is that you come to find that this is both reliable and credible, uh, a, a reliable and credible witness about the life of Jesus, about the nature and character of God, and that is trustworthy to build our faith on and, and to use, as Amos calls it, uh, to use it as a plumb line uh, in, our, in our faith. And that's truly my hope. That's where I wound up on this journey. Um, and it, it, was a, it was quite a process, I'll be honest with you. It was a very long process. And I've got a lot of books on my bookshelf that if you have insomnia sometime, 
please call me and I will loan you some of these books and you can go to sleep just like that. They're pretty dry. Uh, but they, um, they helped me get to the place where I understood this to be a reliable and credible witness about Jesus, about the nature and character of God, and trustworthy for me to build a life of faith around the teachings in this book. Again, not that I have a complete or perfect understanding of what those teachings are. That's not the point. That's, that's me. That's my limitation. But this is reliable and credible. That's where I wound up. And so I'm going to take you through that process and uh, be thinking about that uh, as we go along. So that's kind of the, the process of canonization. And that's about all I really wanted to go into today. Next week, we'll look at reliability and uh, this process of textual criticism. And then after that, we'll look at um, credibility and who wrote it. And interestingly, if I want to dangle something out there in front of you, uh, we will talk about references to the life and ministry of Jesus that we have outside of Scripture. We have ancient Roman historians referencing the life and teachings of Jesus. We have ancient Jewish historians referencing the life and teachings of Jesus. So it's not just from Scripture that we get some of this stuff. Uh, we get that from, from other ancient sources as well, and we'll, we'll look at some of those ancient sources and what they teach us, again, about the reliability and credibility of, of Scripture. <sighs> Thank you for making it to that part with me. So questions, thoughts, ponderings? You're also free to tell me I'm full of it. That's fine, too. Uh, well, I heard you say, um, you were talking about um, uh, it would be a good sign when uh, maybe the text was written a couple of centuries ago, but we're talking about the second and third century Bibles. They they did a hand writing thing that they could turn that. And I feel like if you just take that at face value, like, you know, it's okay. 
Yeah, I think that you're, you're exactly right. They did, there is a tradition in the Jewish faith that persists to this day of, of wrestling with the scriptures. And that, and that speaks to that limited understanding. There, there's a very keen acknowledgement within the Jewish tradition that, you know, yeah, it may be God's word, but that doesn't mean we understand it <laughs> uh, because he's God and we're not. And so let's, let's wrestle with it and let's see if we can come to a common understanding of what we all feel that God is communicating to us through that. And, uh, and that's, uh, uh, and there are aspects, there are certain traditions within Christianity that have preserved that, but I think uh, for, in large part, that has been lost, certainly within evangelical Christianity and coming out of the fundamentalist movement, that, that sense of, you know, this is what it means, and I know this is what it means, and you just need to, you know, follow what it what it means. That that I think um, presumes a bit of arrogance that I'm not comfortable with personally. I, I, I'm not comfortable saying I absolutely know what it means. Now I think there are certain things we can know with a much higher degree of confidence than others. Certainly, it doesn't mean everything's on the chopping block, but uh, to uh, to say that you absolutely know what it all means and this is all, you just need to listen to me and I'll tell you, uh, that's an arrogance that I'm not comfortable with. And, and I have learned much from interactions with other people following Jesus and value that process in, in helping. Sometimes I've changed what I thought, sometimes that's confirmed what I thought, but uh, that, that interaction is, is vital in my opinion. Oh, I can go deep in the weeds. I'm good with weeds, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and well, there and there are some other Christian traditions that include the apocrypha. Um, the I think it's it it is. Yeah, but they don't all count it as um, uh, authoritative, even when it's included in those uh, in, in their collection of canon, and uh, um, even within the, the Catholic tradition, it wasn't until the Council of Trent at in the counter in the midst of the Counter Reformation that the Catholic Church officially declared this is authoritative, and so some see that as just a move to say, we're not like them. You know, it was in the midst of the Counter-Reformation. Now, I don't know enough about it to know whether that's an accurate understanding of it or not, but uh, it wasn't until the mid-13th century that the, that the Catholic Church adopted the, the Apocrypha as authoritative. Uh, it was always there, but more as a historical uh, reference, not as an authoritative document. But part of the reason that the Christian tradition does not include that as authoritative is we have no record of Jesus ever quoting from any of the books in the Apocrypha. And that's, that's part of why we don't uh, accept that as authoritative traditionally in the, in the Christian tradition. Again, I, you know, I'm going to try to not go too deep in the weeds with all this because I realize some of this just is not as fascinating to others as it is to me. But if you want to go deep in the weeds, I'm happy to do that over a cup of coffee or whatever because I can go pretty deep in the weeds. I want, this is a long journey for me. Other thoughts, questions? Yeah, thank you for bringing up some history. I appreciate that. 
Yeah, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, I think it, it, was, it was really important for me, and I've found over the years as I've taught on this and other contexts, that it, it, it's appreciated by others to know that if we're going to base our life and our faith on this book, it is important to not just believe it in faith that it's authoritative, <clears throat> but to understand that, that there is, that there are other reasons to believe it is authoritative too. And it's not simple. <clears throat> now there are faith claims that this book makes that none of what we're talking about over the next three weeks addresses those faith claims. That, that is a faith decision. But if this is reliable and credible, then that puts those faith claims in an entirely different context, right? When it says this, you know, that, that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, because this is where most of the modern critics of our faith start to piecemeal the New, the New Testament, in particular the Gospels, is in, the, in the, uh, the accounts of the miracles. Because, hey, we all know miracles don't happen, so that can't possibly be true. So, and, and without even giving a second thought to it, they just slice out all the parts of the miracle. Well, if this is an accurate, credible, and reliable witness to those events, then you... you can't just discredit it like that 2,000 years later uh, and, and have that same, you know, authority to it because you don't know. You don't know. We'll talk about some of that a little bit. Well, I'm not going to go deep into the, the issue with miracles. But, yeah, it is important. You know, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And, and it's important that we don't check that at the door when we, when we show up on Sundays. And, and that also means not accepting everything that, that the teaching team says at face value just because we're the ones saying it. We hope you're engaged with what we're saying and processing it. And if you're not sure about something, that's part of what this time is about, is saying, hey, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not there with you yet and that we can, we can talk about that and wrestle with the scriptures together. Because uh, none of us that teach up here would ever claim to have a complete understanding of God and his intent for our lives and a complete understanding of scripture. Uh, we'll tell you what we've studied and prayed about, and then together we'll figure out if that's where God's taken all of us. Thanks for your time this morning.